Welcome to Sense and Sensibility, the Inflation Guy podcast. I am Michael Ashton. I am the Inflation Guy, and I am your host. And today we're going to talk about Bitcoin and inflation. And really not so much Bitcoin as, as crypto, generally speaking. It's a topic I haven't, I've sort of resisted speaking on for a long time. Uh, and But given the, the way the news has been trending about crypto for the last a uh, couple of weeks, you know, there's, I think, some very loud arguments to be made in at least one direction. And and I want to consider whether or not the people who say that bit, that crypto is a, an inflation hedge um, have sort of a point or not. Uh, but before we get to that, I want to take a moment for a brief commercial message. Now, nobody is paying for advertisements on this podcast. Uh, so this is an advertisement for my own company, Enduring Investments, that I founded some time ago. And it is it is very hard to be a small company with big ideas. Uh, we have a small company. And we have big ideas. It's much better to be a big company with small ideas uh, because there's some value to being a big company. You have much more heft. But you... You shouldn't care how big the bus is that you're getting on. You should only care that it gets you to where you're going in comfort. Uh, it shouldn't matter to you that it's a great big bus or a little small bus as long as you're getting to where you're going in comfort. If, that, if the bus you get on takes a smarter route, even though it's a small bus, but it takes a smarter route than the big bus, then you should like that. Uh, private transportation is usually better. It's usually more efficient than, than public transportation. Now, how does that really apply here? Well, many asset managers have responded over the last year or two to the demand for inflation products. Uh, and there have been lots of new ETFs and things that have come out. Uh, but they're not particularly creative. They're not particularly effective because few of these asset managers, well, no, none of the asset managers, if if I'm speaking truth here, have the necessary expertise to engineer the usefulness and effectiveness in the area of inflation protection. So they use the same simple methods. All of these uh, uh, ETFs, or virtually all of them, use equities because when you include equities, it back tests really well. Um, what if you want something different? You know, one of the things that all of these ETFs have in common is that most of them come from firms that are, are bigger than enduring. Well, they all come from firms that are bigger than enduring. If you want something different, if you want to get on a bus that's going to the location in style and comfort and doing it more efficiently, then you need private transportation, which in this case uh, isn't much more expensive than the bus uh, either. So, so do something for me. Uh, tell someone who is looking for a new investment manager to go to EnduringInvestments.com uh, and, and contact us. Uh, tell someone who's looking to launch a new product. If, if you are, you know, one of these, if, you, if you're on the big bus and you want to know how to get to where you're going more, more efficiently, then, you know, go to EnduringInvestments.com, fill out the contact form and, and, uh, and I'll put a person on your bus to, to show you how to get to where we're going more efficiently. Uh, help us to defend your money. 
And then that's uh, that's the end of our, our little advertisement for today. And so now we'll get on to the the business of Bitcoin, the business of crypto and inflation. Many people, when when I when I put out a request and I say, hey, you know, is there something you'd like me to talk about? You know, please send me an email. And and, and pretty regularly the response, somebody will, will say, hey, is crypto a good inflation hedge? To be sure, over the last two weeks, I haven't gotten that request nearly as much as I, I had, had previously uh, done for a long time. Um, but it's sort of interesting over the last decade, you know, the, the crypto people have taken the place of, of the gold bugs um, in, in terms of being, you know, a little bit wacky. You know, the gold bugs, uh, for a long time, you just never, you did not want to say anything negative about gold at all because the gold bugs would just go crazy on you. But now those people look positively calm and sedate compared to the crypto people. And that's why... I spoke about gold back in June in, in episode 31, why gold is like tips or vice versa. Uh, but I haven't spoken previously about crypto. But now that, that the crypto people are at least somewhat chastened, it seems like uh, it's probably somewhat more safe to go in and talk about this. So like I said, so people have always asked, you know, is crypto uh, a good inflation hedge? And I've always said no. And I guess now that's that seems obvious, um, but but the argument for why it we should think about it isn't isn't implausible. And in fact, in in the book I wrote five or six years ago, whatever it was, what's wrong with money? There there was a chapter in there about Bitcoin, um, and I should go back and reread it because I don't know if it was prescient or not. But considering I've had pretty much the same view since then, um, it it probably turned out to to miss the enormous run up but be basically right on the overall concept, which is that, no, crypto is not um, a good inflation hedge. Again, the argument, though, was, or is, that crypto um, has controlled issuance, programmatic issuance, so the amount of Bitcoin in existence at any time um, is, is limited, uh, algorithmically. There can only be so much Bitcoin out there. And once it's all been mined, it's done. Um, and 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 all virtually all crypto kind of works in a similar sort of fashion. There is sort of some natural limits to how much can actually be out there. And so the argument is that, you know, if you rely on the dollar or any currency, you're fundamentally having to trust uh, the people in the Eccles building, the Federal Reserve, to manage that currency appropriately and to not abruptly print plenty of it. And, and, and honestly, that argument for a long time didn't make a bunch of sense when money supply went up 5% a year, 6% a year, you know, year after year after year. But when earlier... When, when over the last couple of years, uh, you know, money supply jumped by 40%, at one point it was up 26% year on year, it got more plausible to think that, hey, the central bank isn't necessarily uh, as dedicated to the strength of the currency unit uh, as we once sort of wanted to assume that it was. Uh, inflation is a tax, and 
And the central bank, a non-legislative body, can impose such a tax by printing lots and lots of the, uh, the little green pieces of paper, or if you're from another country, the multicolored pieces of paper. Um, so, so that's not, so it wasn't a bad argument. That was not a, a bad part of the, of the crypto argument. Um, but here's the, here's the problem. It, it, that, that's kind of as far as the argument goes. And money is more than just scarcity. For something to be money, it has to be scarce. There can't be an unlimited amount of it. You can't, you know, water cannot be money. Air cannot be money. Okay, so there has to be some limited quantity of it. But, but money is more than that. It's at least scarcity, but it is not only scarcity. Money is all about trust. And, and really trust in sort of, in sort of two ways. Um, there has to be trust that uh, whatever you're proposing as money uh, is, a, is going to be a medium of exchange. That is, will somebody excel somebody else accept it as money and there has to be trust that it's going to be a store of value and and that's where sort of the inflation piece comes in and and so over time crypto as a medium of exchange the argument has been getting better and better as it's been more you know as bitcoin has been more widely accepted there are bitcoin atms there are all kinds of vendors that take payment in bitcoin um, and so on and so forth it's not universal, but it has been improving. The store of value part is the part that has been very difficult. And one of the reasons is that if you're going to have trust in something to be a store of value, then that's at least partly related to the volatility of the thing. Um, if you look at, at something like um, uh, you know, real estate, which is a great store of value. It's not money because it's not a it's not a good medium of exchange. I can't go buy, you know, a a chocolate bar with some real estate. But but it is a very good store of value. And part of the reason that it's, it's a store of value is that it's it it doesn't the fundamental value of land doesn't change very much. The price changes because the value of a dollar changes, but the value of the land, the inherent value of the land, doesn't change very much. Um, so one of the things you can look at, and uh, let me have a little aside here. Um, I wrote um, a paper, which we've, we've never yet we've never yet um, uh, finished. Um, but I wrote a paper about the the value of of crypto, um, sort of coming up with an objective way to measure the moneyness of crypto. And my, my co-author, uh, Kerry Wallstad, um, and I came up with a crypto trust index that sort of objectively looked at, at measuring um, the trust in, in crypto as a medium of exchange and trust in crypto as a store of value. And so, for example, in medium of exchange, we counted um, sort of how many wallets there are out there um, because the more people who own crypto of some kind, the better likelihood, you know, the, the more that people are, are reflecting the, their trust that it's going to be able to be used as a medium of exchange. 
And one of the things, what well, one of the things we did for store of value trust is we looked at the volatility of crypto. And and uh, and one of the ways we did that is we looked at the volatility of crypto against gold. Um, gold is something which um, you know, it isn't necessarily money. At, at times, it has been money, and, and it certainly is much, much closer to money than something like real estate. Uh, but it's not, it's sort of not, you know, you, at least in the United States, you can't walk in uh, to a bodega with a bar of gold and, and, and go buy things. Um, uh, but so, and, and, and gold has some volatility to it, obviously. Um, so its price, which you can think of an exchange as an exchange rate. So the gold price is an exchange rate uh, between gold, which has sort of some inherent value. Again, the, 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 the gold has a similar argument to crypto in that um, while the supply of gold is not algorithmically controlled, it's reasonably controlled. It, it, you can't suddenly double the amount of gold circulation. There's just not, there's just not that much gold out there. It takes some time to mine it. Um, and so, and so that, so they have sort of similar arguments and gold itself though, still has some volatility. And again, in episode 31, I talked about why gold is sort of like tips and acts like it has a, a very long inflation or real rate duration. Um, but it does over long periods of time, it it does tend to reflect the price level, and and we literally have thousands of years of history, um, and we can sort of demonstrate that gold does a pretty good job over a long period of time of reflecting the price level, but over shorter periods of time, it can be fairly volatile. Well, its volatility pales by comparison to the volatility of of crypto, and so the argument is that if something is incredible incredibly volatile in, in, in price terms, then it is, it's hard. Now, granted, some of that volatility could be on the side of the, the currency unit itself. Um, if, if suddenly people start losing faith in, in the U.S. dollar as a medium of exchange or a store of value. But, um, but if something is very volatile, then it is, it's hard to trust that over some reasonably finite time interval, a year, say, uh, the performance of that thing will, will reflect a change in the price level. W will it be a store of value at all? Well, gold is over a long period of time, but over a period of one, two, five years, it's not as good a store of value. It's better than some things. It's not as good as some other things. Um, and so gold would have a position, you know, in terms of moneyness, that it is decent on the medium of exchange score, and it's pretty good on the store of value score. Um, but compared to crypto, um, you know, crypto is not even close to as, as good a store of value. It's just far, far too volatile relative to gold, relative to other things. So... Um, the long and the short of our crypto trust index, the, the long and short of the story is that, um, you know, it sort of ebbs and flows. In general, crypto has been on sort of this improving trend for a very long time. It's still a long way from being money. Uh, and it's a long way from being anything which looks like a, partly because it, there's a long, it's a long way uh, from 
being anything that looks like a, a store of value. Um, bottom line is there's just too much volatility. So, so now, uh, big statement about investing and, and, and especially with investing for protecting the value of your money. Um, investing is not supposed to be exciting. Okay, so um, the long-term result of investing should be exciting. You end up having a lot more money and you can buy more things, whatever. But investing is not supposed to be exciting. Excitement, uh, in, in investing terms, means that that you are making money, you're losing money. You're making money, you're losing money. And so relative to whatever your goal is, you're, you're not very confident that you're very close to your goal, right? So, so anything which is super exciting as sort of a first pass guess, if, if, you're, if you're in it and you're doing it because it's exciting, then you're not really investing. Your first guess should be, well, that, this isn't a whole lot like investing. Like, you know, gambling on the, on the horses is really super exciting and it is not in any way investing. In buying crypto is super exciting. You cannot reasonably call it investing. It is speculation at best. Uh, there's no reason for it to go lower left to upper right, for it to continually gain in value over time. Um, and part of that's because there's no natural intrinsic value. The value of crypto comes down to how much do people trust it. And right now they're not, they don't trust it very much because of, of, uh, of, of recent developments. So now I, I know that when I, I when this podcast drops that I'm going to get some pushback on the notion that, that investing shouldn't be exciting or doesn't necessarily have to be exciting. Um, but let me let me develop that a little bit further. And it's worth developing because investing is going to be more exciting over the next 10 years than it was over the last 10 years. Um, we are in a higher inflation environment, and we're going to be in a higher than 2% inflation environment for a while. Um, I believe that the, the, we're going to be in a 3 or 4% environment now for a number of years. Um, if that's true, then it means a couple of different things for the assets that we typically invest in, you know, the main ones, stocks and bonds. One is it means more volatility. Higher inflation environments are historically more volatile environments um, because the underlying, the value of the underlying unit is changing. It's no longer stable. Um, it makes everything else in price terms more volatile as well. Um, but also, the and something which I've, I've mentioned on the podcast in the past is higher inflationary environments induce a correlation between stocks and bonds. So one of the reasons that you have both stocks and bonds in your portfolio is that over the last 25 years or so, stocks and bonds have been inversely correlated. And so the idea was that you could buy stocks, buy bonds, and the combination would have less volatility um, than, uh, than, than if they were correlated. Um, so that when stocks go up because we're, we're bullish about growth, then bonds tend to go down because interest rates tend to go up. And when 
bonds go up because interest rates are falling, that usually means bad bad things for growth, and so it's bad for stocks. And so if we move the, if these things tend to move in opposite directions a little bit, then it means less success, less exciting investing because if stocks go up forty percent, our account will not be up forty percent. But also, if it goes down, if stocks go down forty percent, our account won't be down forty percent. So it's less exciting. So that's a good thing. Lower risk is a good thing. Um, but we're moving into an environment where that is changing. It already has changed some, and it's going to be different going forward. And what I what I say in 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 fancy speak when I'm speaking at a bond investors conference or a risk conference is I I say that look the correlation matrix on which you've based your portfolio allocations over the last two decades um, is no longer the right correlation matrix. And, and so you need to make, you need to be very careful to that whatever assumptions you're making when you're putting together your portfolio, when you're, you're running your Markowitz mean variance optimization model, and you have to put in a covariance matrix into that um, to, to make it all work, um, it, that, that covariance matrix you're using is probably wrong. And it's probably wrong in, in not a random way. It's probably wrong in a systematic way, which means that the portfolio you, you get out is going to be higher risk than you think, which means it is not the optimal portfolio. We don't know what the real covariance matrix looks like, but it's likely to be one where stocks and bonds are, are much more highly correlated than they have been. Now, what does that mean? And I've, I've, I've now departed from the whole crypto discussion uh, other than to point out that, you know, crypto is very, very exciting. And so it is, it is not necessarily investing per se. You can, you can get away from the whole question of the correlation matrix by pursuing something which looks like liability-driven investing. And I've talked about that also on, on the podcast in the past. Liability-driven investing is something that uh, most major pension funds pursue. And what it means is that you, you set aside, you, you, you look at your balance sheet, your hypothetical balance sheet, and you look at, at all of your liabilities. Um, in the case of a pension fund, you know you have certain benefits you're going to have to, have to pay out at certain times in the future. But you and I also have liabilities. Uh, they're implied. That, you know, we need to have a certain amount uh, per year in retirement. And so that's sort of a, an implied liability. We need to have um, a certain amount set aside for our kids' college account because we know that in a certain number of years, they're going to need a certain amount of dollars. Maybe you have money set aside uh, for a bequest that you made to your, your university or something. Um, but we have various things that we want to do in the future, and those are liabilities and and things which and they have various varying degrees of importance. There's some things which, if they didn't happen, we could live with it, and there's some things if they don't happen, such as you know having enough money for retirement, then they're really bad. Then you don't you know you you don't have shelter, or you don't eat, or something like that. And so you have you have these different liabilities. Liability driven investing says that. We take money and we match it to the risk of the liabilities. So in the case of a retirement uh, liability, that is going to be inflation-linked. We know that the cost of our retirement is going to go up over time. And so whatever money we set aside for that designated amount 
should look a lot, should be some sort of inflation linked um, sort of investment. And so I've talked about I bonds. Um, obviously, Social Security is is inflation indexed. And so you have assets um, that are set aside that kind of match that. Okay. Now, if we just look at that closed system, if we look at those assets set against those liabilities, the result is very uninteresting, very unexciting. Um, the, the net amount that we have should not change much. As the liability gets more expensive because prices go higher, well, our assets should gain in value as well because they're also tied to prices. And so the net amount there in that liability-matched portfolio shouldn't change very much. And so you set aside all these liabilities and you match them to particular funding sources. And then whatever you have left that doesn't have a designated uh, purpose, that's the part you can be exciting with because it's not necessary per se, right? You don't have to, you know, it, it's play money to some degree. And not really, of course. If you have, if you do really well with your play money, then you can allocate more to a better retirement. Um but that's sort of how pension funds operate. They've got a liability uh, immunizing portfolio, a liability defeasing portfolio, and then they have a return seeking portfolio. And that's the way that individuals should probably um, think about their problem as well. Now, where crypto sort of fits into that um, is a very small part of the return seeking portfolio. Um, if you feel like you need to have a little bit of excitement and then, and you want to have a little bit of play money dedicated to crypto, well, that kind of makes sense. Look, I mean, crypto is at some level, it's an option that maybe it goes to a billion and also maybe it goes to zero, but it's closer to a zero than a billion. So that option probably has some value. You shouldn't hold very much of it, but you can make an argument that that volatility in the return-seeking part of your portfolio isn't necessarily an unalloyed negative um, as it is in the liability-immunizing part of your portfolio. But anyway, I'm starting to get a little too, too complex here, and this could go on for a very long time. But the bottom line is, with respect to, crypt to crypto, it is too volatile to be considered really a... Uh, uh, Honestly, it's it's too volatile to be considered an investing asset, but it is certainly too volatile relative to the price level, relative to the changes in inflation, um, to be considered an inflation hedge at all. Uh, crypto has is negatively correlated with monthly changes in prices going back, you know, five or ten years. Um, the change in crypto versus the change in in uh, inflation, um, it's correlated to the overall price level. The CPI price level is correlated to the level of, say, Bitcoin, but that's mostly spurious because those two things, the price level always goes up and Bitcoin has been going up. And so therefore, there's there's a correlation of the levels. But if you look at the changes, they're actually inversely correlated. So the conclusion is crypto is not an inflation hedge. It's barely an investment. And the only place it should live in your investment portfolio is in the is a very small part of your portfolio after you've put everything aside for your future retirement and you want to, you know, 
throw the dice and and uh, uh, you know bet on on some crazy thing happening which could make your life really great, um, then fine. So put a few put some some money into that. But I would not rely on it. And that's all for today. And so now if you are a, a crypto crazy, uh, you can go ahead and start sending your email. Um, you can send that email to inflationguy at enduringinvestments.com. Or if you're not a crypto crazy and you want to make some other sort of comment, you can send an email to inflationguy at, at enduringinvestments.com. You can follow the blog at inflationguy.blog. You can follow me on Twitter at inflation underscore guy, or you can actually subscribe to the premium uh, Twitter uh, service that I have. Um, visit Enduring Investments, as I mentioned up top, and, uh, and we can talk about what we can do together. And most importantly, whether you do it with me or you do it on your own, defend your money. If inflation is coming for you, remember, you know a guy.